Listen, if you dare, to the Lovecraft Tapes. Welcome to the Lovecraft Tapes. I am Jeremy, your keeper of arcane lore, and we play Call of Cthulhu, a horror role-playing game based upon the fictional works of H.P. Lovecraft. Your investigators of the unknown were... Brian as Jack Williams. Were? Gabe as Roy McDonough. My lawyers have advised me to not answer any of the following questions. And Matt as Rocky Whiteside. What Gabe didn't tell you is that I'm his lawyer, so you're welcome for that. With special guest Zach as Carl Kolchak Jr. The second longest living character in the game. Welcome players, tonight we will be answering listener-submitted questions regarding our recently completed scenario Chapter 9, Leapfrog. Spoiler alert, we will be discussing all the nitty-gritty details of this adventure, so if you haven't listened yet, I highly recommend you go back to Episode 81 and start there. I vow to give a spoiler-free questionnaire here. I will not answer any questions that involve spoilers. And you're not supposed to listen to these in reverse order? I just hit the shuffle button and it makes things more interesting. Yeah, that's that's not a button. I listened to chapter three. Does that is that applicable here? Before we begin, we do need to thank our current patrons as of this recording who have contributed to the podcast via patreon.com slash Lovecraft Tapes. Your monetary support has helped pay for hosting, editing software, music sound effects, and other costs associated with production. Uh, students at Miskatonic include Alexandra Kroska, Bifford, Dom Driver, DW, Eric Sederberg, Gregory Schumacher, Holden Omans, Hoser underscore 21, Jeffrey Young, Manda McCalla, Oystein Bowler, Ravens in the Attic, Rolling Box Cars, and Snow. Professors at Miskatonic include Anthony Imes, Brittany Davis, Brownie Davis, CP, Corinne, Daniel Caprone, Daniel Hissey, David Winterman, Davinia Vanzerovich, Dom Driver, Eric Phillips, Eric Miles, Eric Zane, Frank Delventhal, Jefferson Bell, Jeremy Griffith, John Imray, John May, Lobster Johnson, Malambra57, Mitch L, Olda Polkert, Quizzik, Sean, Snow, and Wouter Vermeyen. Our investigators of the unknown are Chris Parker, Elizabeth Grieve, Jeff Berry, and Madeline Turnipseed. Mystics of the occult include... Barry Robison, Jordy Rose, and Snecromancer. And our two cultists of the Starry Wisdom are Ravens in the Attic and the Demir Lobotomist. And finally, our old one is Zachary Harley. Thank you, patrons, for making this podcast possible. We really appreciate it. Yes. I've sent a locket of my hair to all of you. Are we going to send a piece of brine to everybody, too? Absolutely. His short and curlies. See, the thing is with the hair is we're not telling you where the hair is from. It makes it more fun <laughs> that way. Now... Dear investigators, we recap Chapter 9, Leapfrog. Previously on the Lovecraft Tapes. Agents Jack Whiteside and Roy Arroyo, with the assistance of Roy's brother Rocky and his able-bodied manservant Declan McDonough, don't quite foil the plan of cultists to use Dan Williams in order to open a portal on Tristan to Cuna, through which the Old Ones may emerge to wreak havoc on our world. In fact, they are narrowly saved when an unknown entity steps in at the moment of their destruction, playing a kind of shell game with their souls, swapping them to other bodies. So it is, Jack wakes up in Dan's body on yet another island, where he meets prisoner Carl Kolchak Jr., 
Together, they buddy-cop their way out of the cultist encampment to a nearby town, where they join forces with Stephen Crumpet, Master Thespian, and skillful Raconteur. Meanwhile, Roy is trapped in Declan's body, Rocky is trapped in Jack's body, and both are trapped on a ghost ship full of zombies. Somehow, they manage to avoid being eaten alive while uncovering clues about the nature of the vessel. Our actors all arrive simultaneously on the shoreline of the coastal town where all hell breaks loose and they must fight for their very lives against the hordes of evil. As you do. As you do. As you do. The beer can pyramid remains a mystery to this day. Well, we, we can get into that, too, as we go, because now we're going to get into the questions. So what we're going to do is uh, I'm going to I have a bunch of questions from uh, a bunch of folks. So from Sam Hovey, he says, do you have session zeros before each chapter or just wing it? Loving all the work you put into the show. That's this. We don't really have a session zero per se. We do a little bit of prep work and we do a little bit of one on one setup, I guess, and uh, collaboration. But it's it's kind of minimal. Would you guys agree with that? Yeah. Yeah. Usually pre-chapter stuff is like character development where we, you know, roll to add to our skills or discuss if we, you know, develop and resolve phobias or anything like that. There's never anything super story intensive that you guys never get to see. I think us as players that we enjoy that because we like the surprise just as much as anybody else. I have questions for myself for everybody here about this that I don't get. All of Brian's questions are for himself because he's just that kind of person. I have a question for me. How great am I? Answer, amazing. I enjoyed not doing a, a session zero either other than with kind of Jeremy and talking about the character or whatnot so that literally I was, I think, a surprise to all of you as I met you. Brian, Matt, and I always get lunch uh, around the start and try and collude against Jeremy. Yeah, we try. It never works. Okay, what we need to do this time, guys? We need to not roll so shitty, okay? Okay, break. We're gonna make him make us live forever. <laughs> that's, that's not a good plan. It's not. It never works because we always forget. Obviously, I want to be able to write something that entertains the listening audience, but I really want to catch these guys off guard. So I want something that's going to be surprising and make them think and make them uh, get out of their comfort zone as well as be entertaining to the audience. So that's about the extent of the session zero crap. I also want to catch everyone off guard. I think a little bit of that mystery, I think it's very useful, particularly in, in our setting where it's not like live or die every two seconds. We're having some fun and we throw caution in the wind quite a lot just to get some entertainment value out of yeah. this. And uh, oh, I think yeah. that works pretty well. All right, moving on. Uh, from Madeline Turnipseed. There were a lot of different ways that the body switching could have gone with who had what memories and knowledge and all that. Why did you decide to do it the way that you did? And I, I think it boiled down to how Tristan DeCunha ended up and like who went in the water and who touched who and that sort of thing. And so Jack was the one who basically, you pushed Dan into the water, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So I thought that made total sense to uh, to do that swaparoo. Then I thought it would be really funny to put Roy into Declan because there was already already some friction between those characters anyways and I thought well this this will get Gabe into a, a different mindset or whatever smokers coughs and McRibs yeah <laughs> and, and then Jack's body was the one left over except for Roy I thought it would be too cliche or too trite for Rocky to be in Roy's body to me that just made not not very much sense plus I thought there'd be a really cool dynamic between Declan's sort of unspoken love for Rocky like that could have been a weird thing that obviously left me with a conundrum and that was that Roy's body was odd man out so i'm like well certainly declan got into roy's body but where did that end up and that's where i came up with the concept of well he's dead zombies 
He's dead, Jim. He's dead, Jim. And he, and his body was found by trawl, fishing trawlers. And, and just like all that sort of fell into place. And then once you started playing that domino game, you know, you're just swapping people out, then it kind of all, the story just sort of fell into place too. Look how happy Roy is. Declan could not <laughs> handle the pressure that is Roy's life. All 11, no, 10 kids. Why are you sighing? That's like a good thing. <laughs> We're thinning the herd. <laughs> That's just math, baby. Well, it's supposed to be the strong survive, right? If he was stronger. All right. So let's do a couple more and then we'll uh, move on to you guys. Eric Phillips asks, how did you approach updating the character stats when the characters merged? Did doing so produce any weakness for the investigators? So so I did the merging and I sort of like very quickly went over and did what I thought would be a blend of the two characters. And for the most part, what I tried to do was I would take a stat and whatever, whoever had the better stat. I gave them the better stat. Yeah. So if Roy was weak in... Everything. A swim, but Declan was good at it, then he got the better skill. That's kind of the way I did it. Unless it sort of didn't make sense. More physical versus mental. Yes, exactly right. So, But if it was a knowledge thing, then I tried to like make it a blend a little bit more without over-statting or overweighting the character to the point that they're just like crazy good about everything. I don't think it produced any weakness other than the uh, unfamiliarity with the body. So they had to go through that 48-hour period once they woke up to start to get their sea legs under them. I built that in. I think the detriments were so obvious. These guys are going to have to deal with being in these bodies and all that complicates. Like, for instance, when Jack tried to call the FBI. Yeah. They couldn't recognize his voice pattern because he's in a different body. That was tough because I kept half the time talking normal and half the time talking like Jack. So that strategy gave me the desired effect because then you were super frustrated. Yeah. When you were trying to contact the FBI and that that's a natural character reaction, I thought. All right. Uh, how about we do a round robin and each of you ask a question. So, Brian, why don't we start with you? Okay. I have one for Zach. What was your favorite part of the entire scenario? Well, I mean, honestly, the embracing the entire scenario not just one episode literally and this is going to sound like us patting each other on the back but i i really like the chemistry your character and i had walking through the uh the adventure the characters clicked right away the you know you and i clicked right away so i think it made jeremy's job a lot easier than maybe another team it's just fun to game with you guys yeah you you fit right in it was perfect it was it was so nice well i have a a question for brian that's uh similar how did the presence of carl kolchak jr complicate Jack's actions? Ooh, that is a really good question. Initially, I didn't know if he was put there knowing my brother, Jeremy, if he was put there as a plant to test me, to test Dan Jack. Like on math and stuff. Right, you know, and I'm horrible with that. What's two plus two? But then when I saw that I was able to look into the stuff that he had, and he was actually a reporter, and he was trying to get the scoop that, uh, he definitely needed to be an ally. And from then on, I just treated him like all my trust had to be in him because I had nobody else there. I actually felt that within the game, too. It was uh, it never felt like an NPC. It never felt like somebody on the outside. I would have loved to have played a bad guy against all of you. That would have been very cool because I love playing bad guys, too, in other games that I've been involved with over the years. But no, I actually loved being an ally to you guys. Not that I helped all that much, but that was really cool that uh, you immediately trusted and treated me like a real character and, you know, that was there to help. Because when I first went in, I was like, I might have to rough this guy up just to get the truth. All right, moving on. Uh, Matt, what do you got for a question? Jeremy, did you enjoy the the dynamic swap and running multiple sets of two and two characters instead of the big group? And 
Do you think that opens up the future to possibilities of having more differently sized group episodes, including maybe like a solo here and there in the future? He's asking on Liz's behalf. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I did. I did enjoy it to a certain extent. I I had trepidation big time because there's a certain dynamic we have when when we have all of us together. Now, I knew that Zach's presence was going to throw that off slightly, but I wasn't sure in what way. So my big thing was, how are we going to make each episode as entertaining with just me and two investigators? As it turns out, there were good and bad to it. So there was when Roy and Rocky and I did the first one, it really clicked. When Carl and uh, Jack and I did ours, we got off to a rocky start the very first episode. And I think that was a case of just sort of getting to know the dynamics of the character. I had to find the sort of the humor in it. Like, it, it's, it was sort of inherent in the ghost ship thing. But Jack had to deal with Dan's body and also being sort of, he had to be Dan. Eventually, it, it totally worked. It was an experiment of sorts. I don't know that that necessarily sets the stage for future groupings like that. I'm going off on my own, guys. We'll see. Never split the party. Then I've got a question for you, Matt. In what ways has Rocky's perception of Roy changed after their brotherly adventures aboard the boats? You better say not at all. And he left you to die. Just saying. He always had certain preconceived notions on what Roy was like, especially because he left pretty early on and all he really had were his memories from childhood and as it's been shown he clearly was not not treated the nicest in the family when he was a kid so there was definitely a a lot of trepidation to begin with and there was always a little bit of almost a little bit of a fuck you in there from him like oh i have to go in and i have to save him and now i have to drag him with me wherever i go and i have to try and keep him out of trouble and i have to try and stop him from doing this and i have to keep him from doing that and i think there's a little bit of traction there starting there's not a whole lot but there were definitely some very very small moments where there might have been a little bit of okay maybe this isn't maybe you know maybe he is actually capable of doing something other than making rude remarks mom likes me better. See what I mean? Gabe, do you got a question for one of us? I'll ask one for Matt. First of all, in response to Brian's remarks or something, somebody, uh, why was our group way better than their group? Because we're cooler? Yeah, yeah, that's true. And then uh, secondly, I I mean, I could have gone on for hours, but was there anything in the Hollywood backlot fantasy that you wish you could have gotten to before we were whisked away? I honestly was kind of hoping that we would run into, I I wanted to do like, like a Mission Impossible, like crazy ass Hollywood like stunt sequence like if we would have like busted into like the this like the back like this middle of a scene of like a big action movie as we were trying to escape I, I was thinking that would be really cool to see I won't lie I was actually hoping that when you guys went to Hollywood it was going to harken back to the original or at least the last group and that maybe you could meet all of the old characters have to interact with them knowing that they're not real but they're basically there to test you but that would have been a, a cool callback to the 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 last series or whatever you want to call it. You're Belinda. Yeah, there was so there was a lot of potential there. I'm not even treating this like Call of Cthulhu anymore. Now it's just like a character study. Well, speaking of Roy game, I have a question for you. Once upon a time, Roy nearly sacrificed himself for the good of the party. But in Chapter 9, he seemed to value his own life more than his brother's. How has your steady sanity loss over the last few chapters changed Roy's ingrained character traits and how long before he totally loses it? 
Well, I'd like to start by saying that he's pretty much already totally lost it. I have probably lost more sanity than all of the other players combined, and I don't think that that's a coincidence. He does a lot of stupid things. (laughs) When I'm making the calls... Losing sanity is the last thing in the back of my head. But I definitely think that he is starting to value him, his, his self-preservation more. But I also think that it, the regard for family is still there. It's not a familial family. It's a chosen family with the inner circle of Roy. And uh, Rocky just ain't there yet. I don't want to give any spoilers, but there's potential. He could be there, but he's not there yet. Zach, you got a question for us? It's more for you, Jeremy, only because I've been wondering this. And in the back of my head, I, I, I do didn't want to metagame this whatsoever, but there seemed to be a very similar naming technique for one of your NPCs that may or may not have connected to my character. A certain guy that ended up beheaded, was that uh, potentially my father? You mean Keijo? It just seemed very similar and take out a couple syllables. It's funny because as I wrote that character, I was sort of concerned that I was leaning too far in that direction. Well, there is one thing, and I don't think anybody here has ever brought it up. And nobody who has listened has brought it up. But there was a certain thematic I was going for for the entire season. Do you guys, did you guys figure that out yet? The frying Dutchman from SpongeBob. Screwing your family over? No, it's, it's very simple. Every single episode started with a letter S. Oh, cool. So every single episode in Chapter 9 starts with S. I didn't realize it till I was like four episodes in. I was like, oh, maybe I'm going to do this S thing and everything <laughs> just this S. So a similar thing came up with naming characters, uh, Cygnus, Keijo, Carl. I mean, the, they were all C's and they were all sort of intertwined and maybe they had something to do with cultists. But I guess if you like get Freudian about it or something, C becomes before D, D Dagon. So C's go first. You spell Cygnus with a C? Yes, Cygnus is with a C. Oh, I thought it was like P-S-Y and then it was... This isn't a Bioware game, buddy. <laughs> P-S-Y-G-N-U-S. I only know how to spell things from Rush albums. Nice. <laughs> All right, well, I've got a question for you, Zach. What happens to Carl once he gets back to Chicago and what is his next big story? Uh, actually, honestly, I've been writing a article based on the entire chapter uh, that you guys just went. So I want to make it look like a news article. You'll see it when I, I finish it, but basically I'm going to have a bunch of big black rectangular shapes in the middle of it basically to say they'd fucked my photos you know it's one of those uh yeah here's your camera here's all your gear it's all good and by the time i got back to the states you know it's oh no really you had no proof of any of this actually existing just like all the not that we're trying to touch on any other circumstance but a certain reporter writing articles basically nobody's going to believe this and but here's the facts as they were so i am actually working on that now and hopefully i'll have it before you get to the next chapter but uh, no, that was actually kind of my goal. But I've been going back and re-listening to the chapters over and over so I can be like, what did Carl really know? Because I don't want to touch on something that I didn't actually be aware of. So the next story hopefully is uh, A, maybe if I get to the States and realize, like you alluded to the the, uh, the rest of the group, that it wasn't my phone call that got them there. It was actually the FBI call, which I still disbelieve. Um, <laughs> roll for disbelief. If I figure that out, that actually it had nothing to do with that, then I'm going to start wondering where this uh, fleet of naval ships came from and start wondering what those specific letters might be that were on the side of the ship. I think that would be his next article. And actually further investigating the volcano 
All right, moving on. Uh, Madeline Turnipseed, Phil Lulhu, and Chris Parker all had questions about Stephen Crumpet, so I'm going to just rattle these off. The best. Madeline says, Stephen Crumpet was an amazing asset to the party. I'm hoping to see more of him. What inspired his character? And then Phil Lulu says, who or what inspired Stephen Crumpet? And when you come up with a really good NPC, as Stephen was, how difficult is it to make sure that they don't take over the show from the player characters? So yeah, obviously, uh, Stephen was a, a direct inspiration from Stephen toasts because i love matt berry who doesn't love matt berry he's just an amazing character actor i'm more a fan of his cousin boo berry i'm not that guy <laughs> sucks but more to the point the character was presented because i felt jack and carl could probably use a hand and i knew there was be a, some sort of point of contact in horta who would be helpful to them and i really just kind of wanted to play something way over the top yeah it was great i knew that we had uh at least one rough session where it was things weren't quite melding you know we our, our rhythm hadn't been cemented yet and i felt the introduction of an off-the-cuff character could really help that and just be silly and stupid and and but still come out on top and uh, that's that's inspiration for that guy and helicoptering he's always wanted to and the thing was i didn't care if they took over the show from the player characters because i was having a fucking blast yeah. so i don't care <laughs> What do I care? If, if it's fun for the listening audience, which I assumed it would be, then uh, I'm all about playing it up to its maximum potential. And Chris Parker did uh, ask, can you comment on there being any future plans or possibilities to feature the return of Stephen Crumpet? And uh, he asked that before I release the epilogue. So he has a better idea about that now. Stephen Crumpet is in the the back, as with you know most NPCs are that we've introduced in the past, who are not part of their everyday lives, but I, I don't see Stephen Crumpet being a regular... He might pop up once or twice, but... Uh, you know, get we'll in see. the comments if you want me to write uh, a My Dinner with Stephen Crumpet between Roy and <laughs> Stephen Crumpet, a two-man play. Pass the breadsticks! Make them garlic! <laughs> Eric Phillips for Brian. Were there any nerves going into a smaller group with Zach since you haven't role-played that much together? No pressure. I don't usually get nervous for for social stuff like that, where interaction with new people. I usually get nervous when it's all put on my shoulders to perform. And that's where my nerves were at. Anyway, I was nervous to go into it alone thinking it was just going to be me. Like, for the first two or three episodes, I didn't know when I would meet him, what role he would play. Is he going to be in one episode? Because sometimes my brother he knows me too well he will run a, a scenario and he'll make a statement and then just sit there until i react and he knows that it drives me crazy but i'll eventually get to that reaction <laughs> But it was almost nice that you were sick because then it forced you almost not to talk all the time, you know, in the real world. So it was, it was, you know, Carl, you got to pick up the slack here a little bit and do some more of the talking. So we actually got to interchange more. So it wasn't all about you. That was fantastic. But it really worked, you know, taking the focus and kind of spreading it a little bit. But yeah, I was actually nervous too. I, I won't lie. You can. We don't mind. Sam Bifford asks, was there a real chance that they might not have gotten to the right spot for the quad bike? If they hadn't, what would have happened. So that was uh, after Kajo had given you guys the diversion. Damn Polaris. Bifford, if you watch the uh, video of that particular thing, which I highly recommend you do not. Do not. You will see that 
Uh, those guys had a rough time checking out the clues and making sense of them. Yeah, there was absolutely a chance that they could have gone in a completely different direction. I might have devised something to help them along, or I don't, I don't even know what. We ran across that. They failed several attempts, that first escape attempt uh, from the camp. So we kind of got a taste of what that would look like or be like, and it was kind of boring. From from a, uh, a storyline point, it was just kind of like, okay, but at least they had a little bit of a taste of it. And th- then I could go over the top with like you know having carl beat almost nearly to death and that actually helped set up some dramatic tension absolutely that actually un you know i don't think it was un it was unplanned but that really actually helped ratchet up a little bit that they did not want us to go and that they were on the verge of either killing me and or this was a test for dan absolutely yeah it, it all sort of worked out in the end them not finding the quad bike or the rest of the stuff there probably would have been at that point well what would have happened literally is they would have been recaptured carl probably would have been, if not killed directly, then made an example of during the ritual. So we would have gotten to that point to the ritual because there's no way in hell that uh, Rocky and Roy would be able to get to the mountaintop in time. And sort of all that stuff that happened with Stephen and uh, the call of the FBI, none of that would have happened. There would have been no carpet bombing of the encampment up top later on. There might have been the coalition. Maybe that would have come later, but probably not. It would have ended almost the way that Tristan Dacuna did the previous chapter where these guys are once again... Another portal is opened. We move on to the next one. Thankfully, that didn't happen. And I honestly don't think you would have pulled any punches, too. I mean, technically, Jack really didn't know who I was. So if it would have been a test of Jack to do the ritual, and if I was a sacrifice or whatever, I think Jack would have went through with it because you guys aren't metagamers. It would have been like, you know, sorry, Jack, you know, but you're screwed because we don't actually know who you are. So I think knowing Jack, he probably would have been hand of the knife to sacrifice you, and he probably would have taken his own life. Hmm. I bet you anything that would have happened. Uh, I, I think he would have been very hesitant about it, but it would have been... I'm right here. <laughs> oh. No, you're not. Because oh. then he would know that he wouldn't be the conduit anymore and that he would prevent future things like that happening. I, I would know. have hit the slow motion button and gone around and stabbed all the bad guys. Bullet time! Madeline Turnipseed asks for Zach. How much pre-planning were you involved with for the session, or did they just drop you in with your character? I presented an interesting idea for a character. Literally, you really didn't tell me anything other than, boom, you're on the island, and now you're chained, you are you got captured, and you're chained up because you were investigating something you basically shouldn't have. I had no idea who the characters were in-game. You know, I didn't have any real knowledge in-game. I didn't even really know who I was investigating. It was literally I was going to investigate, and then I got captured and chained up, and that's when I got found. You had never listened to an episode of the show before. Because it, it was also <laughs> no insider information on my part either to metagame at all. And I, I won't lie, I was really, uh, there's a couple times I wanted to metagame and be like, dude, the clue said this from Keijo. But I was really trying to not do that because it's table talk. We're not at a table, though. So, yeah, Zach is absolutely right. We didn't, we did, the only thing I did was I vetted him to a certain extent to make sure that there were going to be no problems that were obvious right from the get-go, and then once, you know, he knew his shit, so. I'm not a psychopath, and, you know, I'm not just here to kill people. Oh. The IRS will be calling you. That's Roy's job. Like Brian said previously, it was a perfect fit. 
and I, I too am a huge fan of the Night Stalker, and so that made perfect sense to me. And I just love the idea of having this investigative reporter as part of this. So uh, that was a lot of fun. Okay, moving on, Brian. Huh? You got a question for the group? Yeah, uh, Jeremy. Why can't the players? Why can't we listen to the Lovecraft tales? This is a bonus and a benefit to the patrons. The Lovecraft tale bonuses are inside information for the patrons specifically. They help with their understanding, the patrons' understanding of like what might be going on behind the scenes, which I think they appreciate because they can't act on it. But you could, and it would color your decisions. So, uh, Zach, I'll be sending you that thing so you can get me the recordings of the tales. We're no longer allowed to even listen to the show itself. (laughs) (laughs) Spoilers! Matt, you got a question for us? For Zach, Gabe, and Brian, did you or were you tempted to listen to the other duo's episodes? Or did you hold off and until it was safe to do so or were you like were you tempted to either listen to them in between recordings or did you want did you like watch them live i did not watch them live for me personally i started to and then i'm like no i'm it's giving me too much information so i stopped but i did listen to it when the episodes came out I tried to watch them. I think I missed the first one, but I think it was on the second one. I, mean, I was going to ask that exact question that Matt just asked, so now i got to think of another one on the spot. My uh, question is for Jeremy. Uh, remember when I was looking through all the rooms on the ship, every single room, and I stopped? Were there, was there anything cool that I could have found if I had looked through every single room? Also, as a byproduct, uh, what what's up with that pyramid that never got explained? Or the UV light. <laughs> I wanted it to be sort of a haunted house. So each room was just simply set up to be a distraction of some sort. The, I think there may have been one or two rooms where there was actual danger. And there may have been one room that had information that you found later on anyways. It could have been just like found a little bit earlier. So I just sort of came up with some strange shit that would make you freak out slightly. I didn't want you to go insane. But there had to be like one or two things that were like, well, fuck, that's weird. And maybe unnerve you a bit. That's kind of it. I just went for the haunted house deal. I see. It was just fun, and I, I, I kind of wanted you to go more room to room, because I was like, I have this list of, like, ten rooms that I'm going like, to unleash on. And I could have kept going, but Matt was getting legitimately angry about <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, well, I was. I was very much legitimately getting pissed off that he was just going room to room, and I want to look at this room, and I want to open this and go to the next room and open this. And- it's called investigating, Matt. Look into it. It's not a dungeon, though. Exactly, yeah. I kind of did a dungeon mentality, yeah. All right, uh, Zach, you got a question for us? I have a question, but it's not exactly uh, for the chapter. I have a question that maybe everybody's wondering here, and I don't think it's actually been asked. A, how much are you guys related to your mentality of your characters in real life? And B, do you guys ever want to uh, reverse roles? Like, Jeremy, do you enjoy gaming? Do any of you guys like to run games? Like, do you guys ever want to swap your roles? (laughs) I want to swap all the time. Put the key in the basket. We swing a lot. Well, to answer the second part of the question, yeah, I do. uh, I rather enjoy the role-playing aspect of it. And, of course, the Halloween episode is... Or the Halloween episodes, I should say, are, are a lot of fun for me. So I, I get to kick back and just play the character. So I, I'm very detail-oriented, and I plan and plan and plan and plan. And so to me, this is sort of second nature now, is, is creating these adventures and scenarios and uh, and trying to come up with everything. So He wakes up in the middle of the night. Hey, you're stuck in the chair, and you're tied up. And how do you relate to your character, Jeremy? That was half of the question. <laughs> well, what about the rest of you guys, though? Um, I've definitely mentioned before that Roy is a stone-cold Gabe DiCenzo. It, it's me turned up to 11. It's 
definitely it. I'd say you're probably at a three or four, and he is definitely at an 11. Yeah, it's, it's me without a filter, that's for sure. And I feel like I'm very similar to Jeremy and how I plan things out. We're very similar people where we're just very meticulous in how we do things. And when I play with friends, I usually do run the campaigns. I, I love to do it. Life is just really busy. So it'd be, I would love to run a campaign for the show, but would have to be like, I would have to start writing like the Easter show now would be how much time I would have to put into it. Because honestly, Gabe, you, you strike me as an off the cuff kind of person, but that's more, I think, the character than you. So it's nice to hear that you're almost completely reversed of your character. Almost. No, if a, your character has no planning capability whatsoever. It's like there's a shiny object and you just go. That's the portion of Roy that I really differentiated from myself, but I, I definitely feel like in real life I am like blunt like Roy is in that aspect. So I, I took some and I gave some. And to me, and please, Matt, let me know if I'm wrong. Your characters always seem to be very, very meticulous. Are you in real life like your characters? Because I got a feeling you're not. I mean, not in a negative way. I'm just saying, like, all the characters I've heard you play, none of them have been, like, just slapdash. You know, but I can't tell if that's an art role-playing thing or is that a you thing. In real life, I am fairly... I'm like somewhat in the middle when it comes to structure. I like to have like an outline of things and then I kind of like to fill in on the fly as I go the rest of the way. With my characters, so far I haven't based them off of me so much as I've kind of picked an archetype. I guess you could say and spun it out from there. Like Dan was the the big, you know, the big heroic soldier guy. Detox was the the criminal amongst a couple of lawmen and Rocky was the anti-Arroyo. No, it totally makes sense. I just was, I, I think you're fans have probably always wondered if if Matt matches those characters because those characters almost always have a plan whether it be detox or anything else they always seem to have a very meticulous plan laid out and you just don't strike me as the person that has to plan their life out that much like I said I like to have a general idea of where I'm going but I don't like to I'm not the kind of person that has like a trip itinerary where it says I'm getting up at seven and it's 705 I'm brushing my teeth and it's 710 I'm that's me that's that's Jeremy we have enough I, of that I around here already right now my itinerary <laughs> for my upcoming vacation. To me, from the outside, after playing with you guys, Brian's the only one that feels like their characters like their real personality. Yeah, I always put my personality into my characters. It, I can't help it. Because you almost seem identical in and out of character. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know either. Chris Parker says, You guys played around with the format this chapter in really neat ways, like retrospective fill-in-the-gaps roleplay and splitting the party with alternating sessions. What did you guys learn from that change of pace, and what did you like about each style? Can I just say that maybe Jeremy shouldn't have given us the same first line for all of our descriptions? Because <laughs> that was way too much fun while we were gaming. It's supposed to be funny for the audience, but Brian blew it. It was a night just that like That was hilarious. <laughs> well, I just learned that we aren't apparently funny. You <laughs> people are terrible. It happens. I think it really kind of helped push my my role playing skills because when you have a more sizable group, you definitely have those those peaks and valleys where there are moments where you can just kind of lean back and and let things happen. But when you're in that smaller setting where it's just you know you and one other person, you really have to be on a lot more. You have to be on your toes and you have to be willing to to move and react a lot sooner. Whereas again, in the when it's all of us, I don't mind sitting back every now and then and just kind of 
letting letting things play out. Just so you can be right and be like, you shouldn't have done that. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty much it. I live for the I told you so's, especially when it's Rocky going I told you so to Roy. Which he never is correct, so I don't, uh, he just says that when he's wrong. I took the most notes ever on, on this scenario that I've ever taken because I, I realized that I can't say what did they say? <laughs> to everybody else. <laughs> we, we had a really good set of clues given to us, and we both realized that they were clues, and we neither jotted it down. But, so by the time we got to the clue, <laughs> we were like, you mentioned this. <laughs> we forgot what you said, though. It was in the intro. <laughs> and we were, like, talking, making faces. <laughs> and we were all about it. We were like, that totally, yep, we're going we're gonna to remember that in 30 minutes from now, and we totally did not. See, he made us find all our own clues, so we were just like, let's try that deck again. <laughs> <laughs> well, have we looked over here yet? No, well, how about this? Over there. And we were like back and forth with rolls, like with the tracking rolls. I'm like, I'm going to try this, and then I failed, so Gabe was like, no, let me show you how it's done, and then he <laughs> would fail too, and we're both just like, oh. Yeah, we were like, oh, well, I think it's been long enough for me to track it again. <laughs> <laughs> I did think it was a cool way, though, to end it with a, you know, you're questioning about what occurred and then role playing that. That's always an interesting way to do it. I kind of look at, uh, I was a, a huge White Wolf fan and somebody at one point wrote uh, Highlander rules for White Wolf. And that was kind of that whole thing, like think back 50 years, 100 years, whatever, and then do a flashback and then tell the story and make it connect to the current story. And that was always very difficult to do. And I think the first time doing it i think it was done really well yeah we, we struggled a lot with the clues that he attempted to give to us because just rolled so poorly we're not overly consumed by the details at least the the investigators aren't and so i went back and i looked at the wiki for instance and you know chapter eight they did some pretty good notes chapter nine zero Zero notes. I wrote that. That's what I'm saying. I reverted to actually writing stuff down next to me because we didn't do a wiki. I've never taken notes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that that any of those notes that you're attributing as me, and I know Matt has in the past, but I feel like he's fallen off, and I'm gonna blame myself. I can't believe him. Brian does most of the notes all the time. Well, since Matt failed all of his roles, you know he shouldn't have put any clues in. You know, this should have been all Roy. This is Roy's fault. So in the next scenario, we all need raging clues. Hey, Roy doesn't forget things. It would be out of character for Roy to take notes, because he'd just be like, <laughs> I'll remember this one. I don't need to write things down. BCP says, so chapter nine was crazy, what with the black goo and the dead not dead stuff. But I am worried. How much are you going to X-Files the Lovecraft tapes? Because I don't like what the writers did to the characters on that show. I mean, X-Files eventually became a kind of pastiche of itself. But I love that concept. I mean, I love Monster of the Week. I love The Night Stalker. I love X-Files. I like Millennium. I'm not using that as a direct template or anything. But, I mean, that's we're an episodic series. You know, we, we have chapters and we have, you know, limited adventures. And maybe BCP is asking, am I going to try to keep this arc going. And I will lay my cards on the table tonight. Basically, I'd be using this as a way to reset the game board because the portals have been closed. The cultists have been thwarted. 
the investigators are now much more comfortable in their newfound bodies. Where they go from here is up to them. It's their role-playing. However, they are now part of Delta Green. So we're going to enter into a new way of going at these scenarios. And Chris just asked, uh, are you guys planning on using Delta Green just as a set dressing? Or are you guys going to add in some mechanics like assets or whatnot? Honestly, it's probably going to be set dressing because I don't necessarily want to get into the mechanics of Delta Green. I, I do have those rules and I am looking at them to see if there's anything useful. But I don't want to change the mechanic of the game because that's it's not really our style. And uh, we've been doing fine just the way it is. But I, it's, it's more along the lines of it's an opportunity to use Delta Green and the Secret Society to launch these guys in their current form to other scenarios that maybe are a slightly different flavor. And I'm kind of using this as ballast to get rid of the Dan Williams and the Samantha Blaine and the, you know, like try to get rid of that episodic stuff. I'm not saying they won't come back up, but I don't want that to be the through line for the rest of the thing. He's announcing that Taco Fish is dead. No, 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 no. no. Taco Fish shall live forever. I think Gabe and Matt are definitely Mulder and Scully and some point they're going to have to make out. So are we actually going to be able to use this secret society or is it going to be like my secret society where every time I tried to do something, you're just like, nope. No, no, I felt I felt like with your secret society, at least initially, I let you do anything you wanted to. But like for like a week. Except for like a mini sub. So we'll see what the Delta Green can offer you. I will say that you're probably going to be like junior members. Dumb. I have some really fun ideas for how to play Rocky inside of Delta Green, but I won't say anything here. And maybe you and I can talk a little bit Ooh. behind the curtain. Oh yeah, totally. I'd love to. I have some really fun Meet ideas. Meet him on, on the how couch. To, how to twist the character. Eric Phillips for Gabe. How much of a sand loss do you think Jeremy will hit Roy for? Seeing any dead body reanimated must be hard, let alone your own. My sanity is very low as it is, so I feel like we're at a point where I've seen so much that everything needs to be like, well, here's what it would be regular, and here's what it is for Roy, because he's seen so much. So if he's smart, he'll uh, he'll take what it would be and give it a deduction, because it just makes sense. It's going to make out with it. D- Delta Green can just put you through some electroshock therapy, and you'll be back up to normal. I am waiting for Roy's lobotomy. That's going to be an episode I'm going to write, <laughs> and it's going to fix me up. Is that going to make you smarter or dumber? Both. All right, uh, John May asks, for the final episode of the chapter, did you play out the scenario prior to doing the recap in the interrogation room? Absolutely not. Nope, these guys knew nothing. We got like a little, we got a, Jeremy basically said, hey, I wrote something for you guys, check it out in your journal. And then we just went down the line of people and we we kind of did a, a whole lot of improv and a whole lot of, well, it all happened so fast. <laughs> <laughs> I think we each had like maybe four to five sentences. Like it's not yeah. even like we yeah. were given a lot. It was, it was like a, a small paragraph. It yeah. was how we saw the person, and then it was there's the setup for the uh, the scene. And they could have like reworded their the entire thing. They, they opted not to because <laughs> it was fun not to. We had to expose your writing style. <laughs> yeah. And it just all happened so fast. So Sam Bifford asks, uh, where was Roy's adopted daughter during this last adventure path? I unadopted her. She's dead. <laughs> Jeez. That's two kids down. No, I'm, it's a net loss of one, though. <laughs> exactly. No, we, we, we don't know. 
We don't know exactly what happened to Rose. I wouldn't write her off just yet. All I'm going to say is, for the people who have been asking, and it's nobody, but I like to feel important, I named her after Rosita. She made it into Simon Cumble's art. I only remember the NPCs that I have, like, good interactions with, and, like, I really remember those ones. Bugsy, Petunia, Rosita, Kid Canada. When's Carl slash Zach going to not be a secondary (laughs) character and join the cast? I think that's what all of the fans really want to know i think it should be a totally separate podcast that'd be amazing oh the carl cast I said the carl cast i like yeah it would be really boring though with just jeremy and myself would it though uh, it'd just be you jeremy's busy <laughs> we can do guests we could do guest slots jeremy just does all his characters <laughs> brian you got anything else i have one last question for matt what is it like to still have a character alive at the end of a scenario it's nice not having to start over every single chapter, although there is something to be said for the fact that I really love the character creation process, and I love the whole writing up stories and creating people, so I always do, to a degree, enjoy having to make someone new. I think many years ago, I'm going to show my age for a second, there was a thing about D&D that if you have enough character backgrounds that you wrote to pay, uh, to wallpaper a room, that makes you a gamer. I'm pretty sure I have like three or four complete characters just kind of sitting in the wings in case something happens i have a backup character that i hope i never use roy jr <laughs> no flex from, flex from boy boy a boy <laughs> whole family starts with bees uh matthew oliveri via facebook asks back in chapter four had the crew burned destroyed the book right after they found it would that have brought the case to a close i remember they found my life pretty early on and i remember thinking they need to burn that cursed thing (laughs) as soon as they found it but they didn't strange event after strange event and they let the book continue to exist was this scripting personal choice based on their character's perspective or did they just not think to destroy it until the last minute oops i feel like i wanted to destroy it and i was just like that won't even work so i'll just move on yeah i think it was just uh we wanted to investigate more to find out what it really could do no so the secret is if we had destroyed it the podcast would just stop so we didn't (laughs) want to do that no that was like very much into dan's like super heavy that that he gotten over that point he had gotten over the initial like i don't know and he was like really deep into the whole yeah let's investigate this and let's look into this and i think he was kind of partially blinded by that where he wanted to keep digging and he wanted to find the clues and he wanted to solve it sam just wanted to have tapas out of curiosity along kind of along those lines though matt do you guys miss having like an arcanist in the group like i mean all of you guys are basically investigators or government officials of some sort whether they be shadowy or not you guys are all very very physical worldish. You know, you have no like spiritualist or canist or anything along those lines. You actually kind of miss having that that extra perspective on cases. I don't believe in that mumbo jumbo. <laughs> well, Jack has a very slight background in voodoo, so maybe that's something I can explore more, maybe to try to switch bodies back or to figure something out. Ooh. Oh, here's an idea. We should do like a whole chapter based around Jack's backstory where we go to... Oh, <laughs> oh no! Not again! I'm not driving another truck, you son of a bitch. <laughs> Shotgun in the face. To uh, answer a little bit of Matthew's question, yes, if they had destroyed the book, would that have brought a case to the close? Well, maybe, maybe not, because as we know, any attempt to destroy the book would have resulted in interference from beyond. And so we know that uh, one of the first things was the uh, dimensional shambler. 
that they eventually countered at the very end when they attempted to destroy the book. And things could have gotten much, much worse after that fact. There was also some spirit stuff that uh, could have happened. So uh, it necessarily wouldn't have brought the case to a close. It might have complicated matters. I do also think that Dan, who was brought into this case by his old war buddy, may have had some misgivings about prematurely destroying the book without knowing the full story because his friend was also in peril up to a point, up until he killed himself and his kids, which happened much, much later. So I think that also might have played a part in why it wasn't destroyed right off the bat. It also kind of plays into the Lovecraftian storyline. I mean, almost all the horrible things in his stories are never destroyed. They're always lost, buried, put someplace very difficult that nobody else will have to experience. You know, very few things were actually destroyed. Last question, guys. And again, this is uh, an extraneous thing, not related to Chapter 9, but I thought it would be fun. Eric Phillips, you get the last question of the night. For Matt, you get the last answer. Cool. Was there any extra material that you had prepared for the death house scenario that you hoped others would run into? That's our Halloween one that we just did. No, I did have a couple of like just silly little Easter eggs hiding in some of the catacombs area. We eventually hit a point where we were like, okay, we really need to wrap this up. So I kind of just tried to speed it through the back third there. So there, there was some, some fun little Easter eggs that I had thrown in on my own that weren't normally part of the scenario that, that would have been kind of fun to include counter but would have been totally tangential and wouldn't have affected it in any way really for reference one of the things that i've recommended in the past on the podcast is a thing called the deck of silly things which is like the deck of many things but it's full of ridiculous items that are legitimately usable in D 5e and in some of the the crypts and the catacombs i had hidden items from the deck of silly things for them to find just kind of help them along but they never ended up finding any of them because i didn't search everything like i should have the youtube version of all of your guys's adventures Actually, I enjoy listening to that more only because even though I'm only like 15 miles from work, it takes me over an hour to get there. So the longer your podcasts are, the longer your YouTube sessions are, it has more entertainment for me trying to travel to and from work. Plus you get to hear all of our crap. Our fighting and cussing and just being dirty. You actually don't know what I'm really doing when I'm listening to all your voices. Yeah. He has a Tesla, so no. (laughs) (laughs) I wish. (laughs) All right, guys. Well, that's going to be it for this episode of the Lovecraft Tapes. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Music, Podbean, Spotify, Stitcher, or anywhere you download a regular podcast. If you like what you hear, please leave us a review. Meanwhile, you can find us at thelovecrafttapes.com with links to all our hashtag recommendos and social media channels, including Facebook, Reddit, YouTube, and our Discord server, where you can chat with Gabe in real time. But he won't be wearing pants. He's a chatty guy. I am just going to go and sit in the the voice channel for six (laughs) days. You can find me on Twitter at Lovecraft Tapes. And if anybody wants to hear me pitch character ideas to them, I I got a lot of them. You can hit me up on Twitter at The Real Weird Kid. And you can find me on Twitter at Lovecraft Gabe and marvel at the fact that I am on the same website as Russell Brand. You can find me at Brian Podcast on Twitter, but Discord's easier.
Oh, you can't find me any place other than Discord, but I do have to ask, Matt, could you just like find a website and post all of the characters you've ever made so we can go through them and pick your next character yeah, for I'll just you? start a character compendium and let everybody vote on where I go next. I think that'd be way cooler than you choosing. Let the let the audience choose who you're going to play. Patreon voting on Matt's next character. <laughs> I was going to say, hey, if it ever rolls around, that honestly might be a legitimate option considering the number of characters I have sitting around. Until next time. Roll for Compendium. The Lovecraft Tapes Podcast is copyright 2019. For more information and sponsorship opportunities, please send email to podcast at thelovecrafttapes.com. Support the Lovecraft Tapes Podcast and get access to exclusive content and rewards at patreon.com slash lovecrafttapes.